If you'd like to get involved with Shoreditch Radio or if you run any local projects or events, please contact us at info at shoreditchradio.co.uk. Esky boy. Dano. Outta all my people. Hello, we're Beanbot. Hi, this is Dean from Lois and the Love. Uh, this is Roman from Breton. I am um, Adam Fartley. I'm Orlando from the Maccabees. I am Colin Peters. I'm Lewis from Chapel Club. Uh, hi, this is Guy from Zulu Winter. Hello, this is Carl Barat. Oh! Hey, this is Rita Ora, and you're listening to Shoreditch Radio. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Shoreditch Radio. This is Late Night Niche. I'm Chris Marshall. I'm Jay Screamer. I'm Joe Stevens. And this song's eight minutes long. So put the kettle on, roll the spliff. James! <laughs> we'll Lord. discuss this on the air and get back to you in eight minutes. Shoreditch Radio. Shoreditchradio.co.uk. Clanga Carussell, Clanga Carussell, and it was called We Want Your Soul. And I thought it would be a good opening song. I apologise for the eight minutes, but I'm not going to apologise because <laughs> I enjoyed the song, so I'm happy with it. Yeah, this is the risk we take. We've got James Creeper back with us this week. Hi, guys, I'm back After from my high ages. from your grandparents' yeah. house. Confined. But you had a nice time, though. Yeah, it was good. It was good to see the family. I'm happy to be back with everyone. Uh, just went for a lovely... Well, actually, I was a voyeur and watched you all eat Japanese food, so uh, quite happy about that. Yeah, it was kind of weird, actually, wasn't it? Mm. Now you mention it. Oh, well, never mind. Moving on. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, Pop Song of the Week. Pop Song of the Week, yeah. So to all the listeners uh, out there in Shoreditch or... The First time of... listeners, hello. <laughs> Still with us after eight minutes. Yeah. Uh, get ready. Um, so yeah, each it... week we choose a, a pop song or a chart type song um, for whatever reason that we establish later on and, and then play it. And for a while I've been choosing... Questionable choices, whether or not they were actually pop songs. Sometimes it's been much debated. You know, pop songs that weren't from this decade. No, but they were this century. Yeah, even. Yeah, yeah that's true, actually. Um, but this one, I've chosen one that's come out from quite a recent album. Uh, the heart from that is Zayn Malik with uh, a song called "Wrong," featuring a woman who just tried to kill herself, Kalani. So, hope you enjoy. And shout out to Kalani, and hope you're feeling better. Listening to Short Ditch Radio. Shortditchradio.co.uk. Right, so that was uh, Zane with Wrong featuring Kalani. And all, aren't all the letters like uppercase and lowercase? Yeah, because he's, he's really edgy now. Yeah. yeah. So we were just discussing, um, whilst that was playing, that like in a way we've kind of got nothing against Zane. No. You know, uh, Dell even uh, suggested that he was the, the sort of Robbie Williams of now. 
like with him leaving well leaving a yeah leaving the big band prior to the major collapse and you know trying to get out on his own but it just seems like being rich and famous wasn't enough being part of like the band that you know makes little girls you know gloopy in the gusset Physical world world <laughs> was not enough, and now he's, now, he's now he's trying to get with their mums as well by making like and the early twenties thing, yeah, for like when they've shipped their kids off to the One Direction concert and they like go and hang out with you know their new, their second husband and his friends and like do a bunch of Charlie at the weekend. That's now the, the Zane crowd, yeah. And it's like he's trying, but he's not at the level that other. People, I think he's. I think it's very same music as yeah. like other stuff that's out there, and I'm a little bit surprised that he's been so successful. And it's not quite Robbie in the way that you know, take that were just Gary Barlow and his backing dancers. So yeah. you know, he had a reason to leave that he I wanted suppose. to do but his then own thing. He wasn't Harry Styles, was he? No, and when it comes it was to the mysterious and, one, wasn't it? Yeah, but the topic of this whole album is basically him like being a sex, yeah, sex god, expert or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and I feel like he was getting. If that's if that's his ambition for life, if you were like next to Harry Styles, then you'd feel a bit overshadowed, wouldn't you? Really, if everyone was talking about Harry's love life, and you just have to deal know, with like the shadow, be the sloppy know, second, sloppy seconds guy. So um, I can't fuck Harry tonight, so I'm gonna to oh wow, fuck I, that same I didn't realise it was like oh oh I see. What no, I, I thought you meant Zane. Yeah, fuck, like he's. But if I can't get Harry, I'll yeah. have to get one of the baying groupies. But we could go with that kind of uh, direction if we wanted. Yeah, we met a groupie. Do you remember? Ballerina, if you um, if you're a regular listener to, <laughs> to Shirley's radio, Lord. then you'll remember um, uh, what was her name? I can't even think. I'm not going to say because I'm not going to care myself. What are we going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> you're just bad mouthing some. I wasn't bad mouthing. Yes, she got on the tour bus. She said <laughs> specifically in the that she liked to tour with AFI. Who did she tour with? AFI. Who the fuck at AFI when they're at home with their mothers? Jim. Richard, Paul, I don't know when they were home with their mothers. But yeah, she did, didn't she? On the show Talk at Will a few uh, weeks ago, you'll recall if you're a regular listener to Shoreditch Radio that they had um, a lovely young woman. She was a uh, ballerina um, or sort of ex-ballerina who now runs, Teaches ballet, yeah. Yeah, teaches ballet out in Ibiza. It's like special ballet retreats. And she was basically saying that, yeah, she was like a tour bus, um, you know, accomplice to... Uh, Come back I don't, think she, I don't think she put it that way. I'm surprised you're being so down on her, James, because you seem down. to hit it off quite well. No, with her. When, she, when she suggested Naked Ballet, you two seem to have like a right little giggle about it. And she well, I'm not going to turn it down. Deeper, so. <laughs> right, okay. Well, you know, it's nice to have a pop song that's, you know, within the past year or so. Yeah, well done Thank for that. Thank you for bringing us, like... Just a little quick update, though. Regular listeners to this show will actually remember, um, and they can go back and check. Incidentally, it's on quite some time ago. Now. Yeah, yeah, on the podcast or uh, on uh, Mixcloud, um, you'll find uh, old episodes of the show, and you can go back and find an episode where James selected a song. Um, Rosie Lowe four weeks ago, I suppose. Now, um, Rosie Lowe, and said that it was going to be um, huge, huge. And so we made a bet that if it wasn't huge within the next. Six weeks, two months, yeah. something like that. Five months. <laughs> I think it was six weeks. Yeah. Uh, then he would have to put on um, the stab vest um, that we didn't manage to give away as a prize for our caption competition because we didn't bother. But was so lovely, lovingly modelled by... Christopher Marshall. Yeah, yeah. and Skinny Shankins. Yeah. But, um, that picture remains uh, hidden. hidden on a hard drive. It's yeah. about to be electromagnetically wide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah... That's not really going too well, is it? No. You're going to get stabbed. I'm going to have to literally buy so many of those fucking copies just to get rid of the top 40. Yeah. Because otherwise that's going to be our next show. James Gruber getting stabbed. Getting He'll be wearing a stab vest. Just to see how... Like, it might work. It's quite old. It's from like 1997. Oh, no. oh. I just don't fancy a stab wound. <laughs> it's just like one of the things... Who does? Do you not have faith in your TV prop? Yeah, I know. It's like, that's the worst thing. It's like... It could just be a prop. Your things don't work. So in summary, if you like the archers, tune in to us because <laughs> uh, there will be stabbings next time. Um, Should we have a couple of songs? Yeah, all right then. What have we got, Marshall? We've got uh, Blue Juice. This is a, a selection of mine, um, and it's called Vitriol. Uh, I really like it. Super upbeat and fun and uh, catchy, and the perfect length, two and a half minutes. <laughs>
listening to Sure Ditch Radio. SureDitchRadio.co.uk. Right, that was uh, House of Pain um, with Top of the Morning to You. Banging song. And before that, Blue Juice with Vitriol. And a banging song as well. Um, we've got a film review now. Yeah, I saw Zootropolis yesterday, also known as Zootopia in the States. Just because Americans are slightly well, you confused. Know, I think confused. You know, it's an American studio, American company. They can call it what they want. Pound of white. Pound of white. Um, actually, I think it's possibly a more interesting title because it makes you question... Whether it is whether the the city Zootropolis is a utopia or not at all. Mm. That's so deep. Yeah. So um, this latest film came out of Disney, as opposed to Disney Pixar, and um, it's kind of one of those kind of old style Disney films. You know, where, like everyone's an animal. No kind of Pixar. No fucking about with people. Yeah. No. no, and kind of animal society, and they all are kind of like people, um, and it follows. Uh, a young rabbit who kind of grows up in the sticks and wants to become a policewoman or you know, policeman. Um, and, you know, there's never been a, a bunny cop before. Um, but, you know, she makes it. She gets to Zootropolis, the big city. And um, one way or another, she ends up with 48 hours to solve a missing persons case or she gets fired. And it's it's kind of about that. But it, I think it's about a lot more, actually. Um, I thought it was... Consistently funny. Um, you were saying about the the fur, the CGI. Yeah, it's the most realistic um, interpretation of an animal's fur because they actually took pictures or they used texture of it. I don't know whether they, they like, stroked animals, cut clumps of animals. Yeah, out. just like CGI'd it on. But no, yeah, apparently it's like the most detailed CGI that they've ever attempted. But yeah, yeah, and it, like really, really impressive. Um, I think it's yeah, consistently funny, but I think it's also got you know, actually a fair bit to say about um, the kind of politics of fear. Because it kind of revolves around predators and prey, you know, living together side mm-hmm. by side. They've evolved to this point. Um, but, you know, some people say, you know, is that sustainable? Um, and when these kind of all these predators go missing and start going a bit ape, is that something within no, their DNA? Intended, clearly. No, yeah, literally no <laughs> intended. <laughs> yeah, no intended at all. Um you know, is that something within them, or is that you know something completely unrelated? And probably, you know, these films take so long to make; they couldn't have possibly predicted how prescient um, it is. It, it would be, because you know. I heard the rabbit was like a sign of like racism or something like that. It was like a symbol, like kind of in your mind, you'd think, oh, because the bunny was the first of the thing, and it was like kind of facing this adversity. And trying yeah, to exactly. And, and they're like, you know. You could just. She's also says at one point, you know, I'm not just some token bunny, and there's a bit where the fox is trying to get served an elephant. It's like, well, not some sly fox in my thing. I can refuse the right to service to anyone. So sometimes it can be a bit overt. But that's what you get in kids' films. But I think there's also there's also like elongated um, Godfather references <laughs> and, and, and Breaking Bad references. How odd. Um, but you know that are that aren't like too in your face. But I think quite funny and you know something for for the parents as well. And I think it, it you know, consistently shows as well, since John Lasseter, who used to be head of Pixar, has joined um, kind of more mainstay Disney, they've actually turned out some really good films. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Um, he joined towards the end of when they produced Bolt, which is kind of, you know, okay, it's it. decent. Um, first thing he did was get Princess and the Frog back in production, which had been out because it was kind of old school hand-drawn. Um, then he did Tangled which I, I really like. Frozen, which has been a bit of a backlash against because it was so big on people. You know, if it was a smaller film... It's huge, film, though. You can't deny it. It's like... Yeah, it's huge. It was a phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit shallow in its appeal. Yeah. I think is the reason and why message. a lot of people kind of have it down as just a bit... Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you said it, James. <laughs> yeah, I, I prefer Tangled, which I think they're similar visual films and kind of old Hans Christian Andersen yeah. tales, but I think Tangled's a better film. Oh, but it's still totally... Wrong. 
Like, the the story of Tangled is not at all the story of Rapunzel. No, but they don't call it Rapunzel either. They don't. No. Could then it's a Disney... <laughs> no, but it's, it's an adaptation. Like the, the story is like a folk story yeah. for like 400 years ago. Exactly. Um, and all I also saw this weekend is another... It's just not Di- that appealing. ...recent Disney film, Big Hero 6. It's only good. Really good, actually. Um, it looked shot. I thought it looked shite, so I was like, I'm not going to do that. What's it called? Big Hero 6. It's um, kind of set in... Imagine, like, American Japan, so San Francisco. Right. Um, nice. <laughs> the future. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of looks like San Francisco, but with kind of Japanese um, touches. And about... Um, like if the war had ended differently. Yeah, that's a whole Amazon Prime series, isn't it? Mm, yeah. The Man in the High Castle. I haven't seen that. Have you seen that? Not seen it. I've watched it. Is it any good? It is good, but the uh, main character lady really pisses me off to the point mm. where I probably won't watch the second series. But it's got She's that, so selfish. It's got that English actor in it, Rufus isn't it? Sewell. Rufus Sewell. I like Rufus Sewell. He's a classic English baddie, isn't he? Yeah. He's got that like evil poshness. That's a nice tail. <laughs> yeah. He's actually really... He's the best guy in it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the best actor, the best character. Um, he's actually like intriguing. He plays a SS um, kind of major, I suppose, or like colonel. Mm. He's really interesting. Hmm. But sorry, go on. Zootropolis. <laughs> Zootropolis. Really good. I think, um, and kind of carrying on like, mainstay uh, Disney's, Disney's good work. Good work, consistency, yeah. Isn't yeah, it? since John Lasseter got there. And actually, I think, you know, saying something a bit deeper that isn't, you know, a lot of kids' films will just be like, oh, well, parents will take their kids to this, uh, you know, whatever happens. And you look at, you know, the past, um, like, 2015's top 10 grossing films, um, loads of them were kids' films because, you know, you have to go with at least two people yeah. you know maybe if you go for a whole family it's four um, so people spend a lot of money on and it's, it's an easy thing to take kids to during half term and they love it and they love it but it's nice when you know studios actually make an effort to make something rather than just sit the kids well, in front of them for 90 minutes I think there's been more of a kind of leaning probably towards studios and uh, companies making these kind of slightly more kind of uh, intelligent kids mm. films because there was that one um, I'm not sure I think it was last summer Inside Out Inside Out that's fantastic yeah and that is kind of along a similar vein and films like Frozen yeah what, I'm not denying they're like hugely successful but mm. at the same time they're kind of getting that flack that's making probably these studios and these companies think perhaps we need to but if you think but also makes a boatload of money and that's you know so what, Disney, what, what, what Disney's all about. But if day. you think about it, Disney has a tradition of making films that have got kind of a moral conscious in, like, I remember when I was little, I used to watch films like Dumbo and like Snow White, mm. and there was a moral, like, if you look back at it now, mm. or Lion King and things like that, yeah. and maybe they're just, they keep building these, coming these films out because they need to teach you. There's mm. a way of teaching, because every child watched a Disney film when they grow up, so it'd almost be like, why not teach them? Well, it, just why, depends. We have a it depends on which Disney film yeah, you watch, exactly, how you true. turned out. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> but like, if we've got this platform where people and their parents will have recognised Disney films, it's like, oh, I'm yeah. not watching that. Then why not come up with something intelligent, come up with something that's maybe well, like, I when think they're it, older, they can think, oh, actually, that's a better way to teach. I really like that they're going off and doing their own thing instead of it just being like re-hashing hashings of different, sequels. you know, previous books and things, Jungle And Yeah, like, and it's like the little oh, thing. Wonderland. Yeah, and it's like the little details in this that I like. Um, like the the phone has is like it's a apple's like a carrot on the back and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that just makes um, me laugh. It's just or like, instead of like three G on the like just literally little things like looking at the phone has like PB and J or something. <laughs> nice. Um, so little things like that that yeah. I can you know appreciate. Little Easter eggs. Yeah. Right. Um. So good film. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Approved. Yeah. Nice. Uh, uh, Joe Stevens approved. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to do a quick uh, little review of uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding too. Um, haven't seen it, but I'm pretty much guaranteed it's going to be shit. So, <laughs> I don't know that, though. On to the next thing. Uh, we have a nonny with Drone Bomb Me, and she's quite an interesting character because she's a transgender, so we're repping the transgender cause. And she's a also transgender? A transgender. Well, am, I, am I saying something wrong there, Joe? I don't, I don't know what the, the pronouns are. Well, she's a man who's now a woman, or is, is a woman. Okay. So have I done something wrong? So she's right? transgender? She's, I apologise. But then that would be she... She's no, transgender, yeah. Anyway, it's just the use of A. About, about the music. And the song is about, like, I thought it would be kind of, like, vacuous, a bit like la da but the song is actually, uh, she tried to write a song from a nine-year-old's perspective in Afghanistan, and the song is called Drone Bomb Me. So it's quite interesting. And it's also got, like, a Hudson Mohawk kind of, like, beat to it, which is filth. 
and it's just like it's a really good song so i'd listen to her recommend her well they're about to here it is Something like that. With Drone Bomb Me. Drone Bomb Me, yeah. Quite haunting. Yeah, so, I thought it was a really good voice. song. I quite enjoyed it. So Interesting. Interesting. Concepts as well. Right, well, James, without further ado. Life is amazing. Someone's going to have to record that for when I leave. So I think so. Have to get, like, well, maybe we'll just ring you up at like premium charge. Guys, I don't know where I am. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> oh you RSE. I'm so, I'm so glad that you called me. <laughs> I'm going to be in the middle of I'm tied up. I'm upside yeah. down. My balls are hanging from my meat hook. I'm in a room. It's dark. There's, there's drips coming from the ceiling. There's There's... Murky light. El Salvador! <laughs> James, just sing the fucking song. <laughs> oh, this is amazing! Right, bye. And that was James dying. But each week, regular listeners will know and new listeners are about to find out, we have this uh, segment where um, we try and, uh, you know, bring things to educate. light. Educate. Um, yeah, educate each other as much as anything um, to the interesting stuff that we've learned each week. As you know very well from being a human being, you walk around in life and learn things that perhaps, you know, you might not have... And we all before, and yeah. it's sometimes ob- obvious things. I mean, um, I was thinking it earlier on the tube. It's only a couple of months ago that I realised that the train station bank is called Bank because of the Bank of England. I just thought it was like the Bank of the River or something. Like, I, I, I don't know, but yeah, bank. bank is the bank. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think us as human beings, we also have a wonderful talent of re- retention of information. So like, even like you can talk to the thickest person in the world, but they know something like an interest. Like that. <laughs> and it's just like, but do you know something? Yeah. And uh, next week we're going to have Dan Ludgate in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Shout out. Hit it, Joe. Yeah. Uh, a couple, couple of life is amazing things. Um, or just kind of life is ridiculous. So it's a couple examples of, you know, well-meaning charity projects that weren't thought through whatsoever. Um, so, you know, as you know, in large parts of the world, getting clean water is a real struggle. Um, you know, we, we have it just out of the tap and kind of take it for granted, really. Um, so in, you know, what was, you know, seen, and I think fair enough, as quite an ingenious way to drill wells to access clean water was um, kind of a, a merry-go-round, or, you know, one of those ones that, that, that kids kind of push around yeah. in a circle, playground thing. Um like a roundabout. Yeah, a roundabout. That <laughs> Why did you just that, say a roundabout? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't think of it. Right? <laughs> um, that, yes, yeah, so that would spin, and then the drill would go deeper. Um, That's and then ingenious. eventually, yeah. So, that, yeah, on the face of it, really good idea. The kids have fun, they access the clean water. Um, but what actually ended up happening, and, you know, they, it was funded by... Uh, the US government and like Jay Z and a few other people. Nice. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, what actually ended up happening is to reach their targets, the kids would have had to, to go on it 27 hours a day, which A is impossible, but what ended up happening is actually they had to have really rigid play schedules. <laughs> so it was just like free labour to get yeah. these children to spin round in circles on the for hours and, spin and hours. Until you're sick, and yeah. then your mate can take over. Yeah, and then. Like a hamster wheel. Yeah, we can get clean water at what cost. Nice. Um, another, you know, again, well intentioned charity project is so, you know, with kind of food. Uh, or aid drops they sometimes 
talking about planes, mm-hmm. um, often in like famine zones. So the U.S. government um, making a very you know, culturally sensitive vegetarian um, kind of all-in-one meal pack that were you know kind of fairly calorific. Um, and so they drop it out of planes and it was very bright yellow so people could recognise it. The only issue is that another thing that Americans drop out of planes and is also bright yellow are <laughs> cluster bombs. Um, <laughs> and not thinking this through, the US dropped both of these things on Afghanistan in 2001. Um, and about like 30% of them remain unexploded. Um you know, on in the ground, so people would try and, you know, go there, go and there, get like food. oh, food package, and <laughs> yeah, make like a, a lava lake. <laughs> oh, I should laugh, but you know, you have a way. Of so working. you know, eventually they realised their mistake and, and changed the colour. Uh, but you know, they you thought they might have thought that through. Was it a bit of a sort of um, Hunger Games esque type? You know, like lure them in with kindness, and then just like blow them up, blow them to smithereens. I don't. I don't think that was the intention. No. I think it was just gross incompetence. Just, <laughs> just did click. Yeah. Back yeah. in Washington, the aid agency and the uh, the air force. That's interesting. Not, not synergistic thinking. But yeah, Thanks, those my my little life is ridiculous. James has got three pages written. Yeah, double sided oh, pages. <laughs> so I, I this was going to be a long one. I was really interested by this. So Settling. my one is going to be about China's plasma economy. Oh, you, you foreshadowed this a bit. Yeah, yeah I, I was like going to start researching, and then I was like, this is what I want to talk about. So I went okay. into further detail. So basically, uh, just to break down a bit, it's a slight background. I'll talk about the plasma economy that uh, kind of was around China between 1991 to 95, and it's called and it was in the Henan province. Of course, I can imagine you're both aware of the Henan province. Refresh my memory. <laughs> uh, I'll explain it in a minute. Um, so that plasmapheresis um, is basically, in layman's terms, it means the extraction of blood plasma in exchange for money. And this arose as China saw an outpour of want and need from foreign countries due to the health issues in other developed states. So they established blood, uh, blood product enterprises due to the fact that they had so many fucking people in their country. It's like donating blood, but you sell it. Yeah. And so this leads us to Henan, the poorest and most populous province in China. Oh. Wow, it's so like mood goes music in with there. <laughs> Tell us more. In Henan. That was actually kind of wasn't it? Can I carry on? Sorry. Um, <laughs> so this industry serves as a way for a lot of peasants to make money and help to fight poverty. So they're great, happy, happy. That's a really good thing. And where, so do you know where in China Henan is? It's like in the north north. Area, so it's okay. like the poorest kind of, and it's like a lot of farmers, a lot of agriculture. Yeah, the uh, Turkmeni border. Of course, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> As referenced previously in, in my <laughs> So, this has been apparently going on since the 1940s in China, where blood from clients were required for a buy and sell relationship from the doctors to the, the peasants. So, what happened? So, I explained the process a bit. Your farm would queue up in an orderly fashion, they'd slap a vein up and undergo a process called, as I mentioned, called plasmapheresis where blood plasma is extracted whilst the remaining blood plants are sent back to the body. So the whole body kind of enters this centrifuge and the machine separates the blood into its different parts, gets the plasma and, return, and returns the rest of the blood into the stream. So yeah, that sounds normal. So the blood plasma will be then taken and sold to pharmaceutical companies to produce life-saving plasma-derived therapies for a range of chronic, Very normal, yeah, yeah, for a range of chronic rare and genetic diseases so okay. that's quite good yeah however in the money-driven society that china lives by sometimes safety measures are left on the wayside so some stations where this process was taking place they lacked proper sterilization procedures the centrifuges mixed many bloods in the same centrifuge so reinfusing their blood after plasmapheresis have been after blood had all been pulled together and also on top of this there would be no tests and they had to sign a little waiver no test for hiv or aids afterwards So, large-scale blood contamination was on the horizon. For some of these impoverished people, unaware of the risks of what they were agreeing to, the promise of receiving 45 renminbi, which is equivalent to £3.50, was enough to feed a family for a week. So it was justification enough to keep returning for time and time again to relieve themselves of further plasma, unaware of the risks. And it was estimated that by 2003, 1.2 million people had contracted AIDS in Henan province. Quite a lot of people. That's quite a few. 
you'd think something would be done to in order to stop this issue, but nothing was done. Victims and activists state that not a single official has been punished for their role in the plasma trade. Even the police and army units were setting up plasma buying stations to boost their incomes, or hospitals and doctors where an estimated further 130,000 got their uh, viruses through transfusions there. So even in the fucking hospitals, they were giving AIDS and HIV blood. So, and was this selling... Were they selling the plasma to other countries? Or selling to other countries. So were they then infecting people in other countries? So yeah, there's HIV it's potentially yeah. plasma and blood out there. Just But then again, I, I don't know if the other countries they send it to would then test it. I think they'd probably screen it, but yeah, yeah. there's that issue. But, um, but it's more when they reinfuse it back into the Yeah, so like the, the Chinese system. peasants yeah. would be like getting their blood back after yeah. going for that process. But mixed like, with other people's. Yeah. I don't know whether plasma, um, that's another question for another day about the plasma, whether that also brings HIV, I thought it would be blood. Mm. And the other parts, maybe it's because they bring all the blood together, that's where it actually kind of concates, whereas plasma may be something a bit different. But, hey, I'm not a microbiologist, so I don't know fucking shit. But uh, <laughs> so I show it shows like the statewide corruption and ne- whose negligence and greed created this nightmare for the poorest of the poor. The Chinese government, okay, so this might get me killed. So I'm going to say it. they refused to admit admit to a problem, and in fear of looking weak, and they were holding people in makeshift prisons for speaking out. And this woman Li Ji, an activist who got it through a cesarean operation, and she was placed under house arrest for protesting, and they were also beating victims of their corruptions. So in a poll that they did, or kind of the information they have to give to the World Health Organization during the time, they insisted they only had 30,000 AIDS victims in the whole country Mm. uh, for a long period, and only recently rising remarkably to a million in recent reports, with many still left unrecorded. And they're even saying that by 2010, which is five years ago, there was an estimated about 10 million people in China with AIDS or HIV. Wow. Okay, so this is another weird part. In 2000, February 2003, they received 30 million to fight TB from the World Health Organization, mm-hmm. Malet- they to fight TB, malaria, and AIDS from the Global Fund. And the budget was only allocated to deal with TB and malaria. AIDS and HIV was completely just like swept so up. We don't have any. Yeah, we yeah. don't have any. And so a government source, this is the worst bit that I read, said, stating, and I think this is the bit, it really This is the bit that's me. written in caps. Yeah. They, the government source said, who will invest in our province if they believe we have a huge number of HIV cases? And that kind of, I don't know, it struck something to me. And so I'm going to say to our Chinese fan base out there, I speak to you from the bottom of my heart and deepest and sincerest apologies for my bumbling attempts to speak your language. But Xi An Quan Di Kong Zen Tu Yan Li, which means be safe and stay away from needles. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much, Well, James. well done. That yeah. was... It really got really me interested. Yeah, that's... no, that's really interesting So when did you stuff. find out about this? I just like, I found like a little site and I was like, oh, that just... It just clicked something, and I was like, mm. I'm going to write about that. So that's fascinating. Yeah. And appalling. Yeah. yeah. It's really bad. And Sorry amazing. Too long. Yeah. Life yeah. is amazing. And if a Chinese man shoots me in the head for speaking out against <laughs> We them, all know why. Yeah. The listeners will write to them, and nothing will happen. <laughs> um, good. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, we have Future Islands. Future Islands. Remix. Joe. Yeah, a remix of a song we played back in Leicester mm. called Seasons good Change. Um, you know, one of my favourites from the last year. Mixed, which sounds more kind of like lounge music. We got a little taste before that was suited well. Is that with, really? Yeah, that was sick. That suited well with James's uh, impending doom of you know the Chinese aid situation. But you know, take a listen and and see how you think if you if you prefer if you yeah, like it. Yeah, because it's, it's uh, bad, bad, not, not good. good here. And yeah, we've had uh, played on the show quite a few times. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to my brother Ben who sent this to me. Respect, brother well, Ben. ben.
Um, we've still got some other good stuff for, for you to come, though, obviously. Um, we've got uh, James's album review, which I can probably disclose is going to be fairly in-depth. It's um, about epic. <laughs> it's about 1,500 words written down. Yeah, it's uh, Iggy Pop, post-prop depression. Um, and then um, we're not going to have a full-blown literary corner this week. Um, Drips because, and drabs. Yeah, I haven't actually finished <laughs> any of the books that I'm in. Well, you can give us like a halfway update. On, I can, I can give you that, what my uh, perception is so far of mm. the various books that I'm reading. So that'll be um, I quite The like Time Traveller like by H.G. Wells. Um Jeffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales and um, whatever his name is, Tolstoy. Oh, Anna, Anna Karenina. Karenina. Anna Karenina. I quite like it like that way because you can like give your opinion so far, and then you could be like, oh well, I it thought this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In two weeks, you'll be like, that's sick. I like that format. Okay, so uh, first thing we've got um, is it seems to be D I I V. Dive. Is that a, that's a song? It's a it? band called Dive. Uh, they're from New York, and this song's called is called Maya Grant Song. Sure Ditch Radio. SureDitchRadio.co.uk That was Iggy Pop with Break Into Your Heart. The end bit there well sounds like have you played um, the game Left for Dead. Yeah, yes. or like, like the intro to killing. like a horror. Yeah, it's a good song. Probably like Down South, Zombie Killing. Just love it. Garage It's a good song. <laughs> so that was Break Into Your Heart by Iggy Pop and you're now in uh, what should be quite an in-depth discussion about his album. How long uh, have we got? <laughs> How many pages is it, James? Seven minutes, James. One, <laughs> two, three, four. Three and a bit. Four, three pages. So, yeah, you know, if you're looking for something else to do. Uh, or to actually, like, educate yourself and be like, ah, oh, that sounds quite interesting, then enjoy it. Go on, then. Fuck yourself. Enlighten me. Um, so today, after my brief hiatus, catalyzed through my inability of being unable to find an album artistically and emotionally on that correct plane that would dive bomb into my consciousness taking hold and spreading its tentacles through every crevice of my thought. Here I am. <laughs> What's that? Willing to comment. And pro- I told you, it sounds like I take loads of Benzies. <laughs> here I am, here to comment and provide some musings in regards to Iggy Pop's new studio album, Post-Pop Depression. Growing up in a family where Iggy has been revered, revered and played to us from an early age, I've developed over the years a growing fondness, admiration and love for his music as my musical palette developed. So if the unexpected news, um, originating first from the Stephen Colbert show, where Iggy and his man-at-arms Josh Holm, of Queens of Stone Age fame, they declared their intention to, intention to release an album and start performancing performances. So after ripping through a soulful rendition of their new single, Gardenia, I thought, hang on, something is afoot. Usually the internet provides us with so much information that it's hard to miss anything. So for an album to have been completed in such secrecy, especially with such recognised talents as Pop and Holm, Let's be speechless and eager, eager to see how to hear their completed work. So a little background before we get into any more rabbit holes. 
Iggy first sought out Joss Holm by regaling him with letters and poetry to see if he was man enough for the challenge of helming an Iggy album. So you wrote him poetry? You've sent him poetry about like different uh, like sexual conquests and the various sort. So you'd be pretty freaked out if a guy just sent you like poems if about like Iggy Pop. Yeah, sent you poems about his sex life. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, "This is a pretty strange fucker." But yeah, so he kind of they worked <laughs> you from think there. I thought it was normal anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so after a while, their correspondence led them to Joshua Tree Recording Studio, where Iggy and his newly formed supergroup, including one Matt Helders, the drummer of the Arctic Monkeys, oh. uh, in the space of three weeks, had written and recorded an album. So it's pretty incredible work for a man in his late 60s, but then Iggy is no mere mortal. So I'm going to talk about the highlights. I've split into different things, and so highlights at the moment. I'd argue this is a quintessentially Iggy album. From the funky-punky sound it emanates to the style of his lyrics, utilising his poetry as lyrics, so it's quite like filled with um, past love, sexualised language, and to agree his own hype bowl, informing listeners how he seeks to stick things down your gizzards within the song Paraguay. Interesting stuff. <laughs> it seems refreshingly that age hasn't pampered his or his vigour and the way in which Iggy howls and the essence of Iggy that hits you and violently tosses you while you crave more <laughs> why you pray for more? yeah I fucking love it I think he's amazing he's a great performer and you tossing yourself when he yes <laughs> I was like this is musical wank and in which Iggy howls is quite a sight to behold on the song Vultures that is so mournful yet terrifying and made it made the back of my skin crawl as if I'd been transported to an ancient time, a land of unforgiving conditions and certainty, alone accompanied by rock and roll's wild man. It makes you dream of such fortune. I, I fucking love it, so I'm just going to keep going. Go for it, mate. Yeah, I'd also argue that the album carries perhaps more gravitas, more of a social conscious than previous Iggy records. Maybe as he grows steadily older, he's become further aware of how the world around him is changing. The landscape, dictated and dominated by big corporations and where greed is increasingly ever-present, so I wouldn't say it's politicised, as I wouldn't want to label the album that, but rather I think he's offering a critique as the way life is becoming, in particular songs like Gardenia and American Valhalla, that in my view, with all these different motifs and themes, make it a far more enriching album. So the song in Vultures, he used the lyrics, Toxic Executive Wants Your Guts in His Grip, and I think that might be an illusory to a music industry and this corporate commercialism of it all, where like you kind of have this like manufactured image, as we said, like people like Zane, who's making very commercialist music, or like kind of he's going to that appeal and maybe Icky's trying to break away from that hopefully come up with something a bit more original by making a super group of uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. hugely commercially successful yeah, yeah no, interesting stuff <laughs> so however on a final note I'd also like to praise the influence and note of a certain Josh Holm although Icky's long praised for his garage sex music and so I've created a new genre of music there so sign me up Vice uh, Holm, garage sex music garage, that's how I describe Icky Pop's music garage sex music Holm brings his trademarks long heard on his acclaimed Queens of Stone's other collaborations to the proceedings. It's still funky, still punky, yet with this Americanness that Hom brings to the proceedings, a gritty, oily sound, and with his often not credited or celebrated voice, sporting and intertwined with Iggy's gravelling tones. In, it, uh, in my eyes, enhances the album, none greater than the final parts of Paraguay, with a drum roll powerful and responsible for propelling this song forward to end the album on such a high. So this is my final kind of conclusion bit. How long have I got? Done pretty well, I think. Six minutes, cool. So what does it all mean? Finally, I shall ask, what does it all mean? Why now has Iggy returned to the fold with an album reminiscent of so many of his past glories, yet not feel outdated and, dare I say it, modern? For this, I have two possible reasons, which have been laboured on and with much deliberation have led me to these conclusions. Firstly, I thought, is this the end? Is Iggy leaving us with one last punch to the the jejunum? Then, mate, truly, he is retiring leaving the music business behind him, one that has devoured him and spat him out into barely recognisable pieces so many times. It is understandable, with the deaths of his fellow music luminaries from Lou Reed to Lemmy to Bowie, maybe the man once notorious for taking on a group of lesbian bikers naked is feeling his age. That is a true story. <laughs> taking on, as in trying to like... Like fight them. They like came to a gig and they were causing shit, so we just like, let's fucking have it, naked. So what better than recruit some of the best musicians today and go out on a high? give the world their last regretful hit of Iggy, then disappear into the sunset. Completely understandable, I would argue. So that was my thought until I had a conversation with a friend of mine who opened me up towards a different line of inquiry. Maybe Iggy did this a way of tribute to his old, long-time friend and collaborator, Mr David Bowie. Throughout history, there have been meetings of minds, those of similar artistic leanings, that unite and create something for greater than thought possible. This, I believe, extends to the relationship of Iggy Pop and David Bowie. Their time in Berlin in the early 70s is seen by myself as one of their most... Creative periods of output, with Iggy delivering two of his greatest albums, The Idiot and Lust for Life, both helmed and polished by the hands of Mr. Bowie. 
as well as heavily influenced by the copious amounts of cocaine, red peppers, steak and impressionism that both enjoyed. So what better way than to salute Bowie's friendship than through an album that embodies so much of the qualities that these Berlin years brought out of Iggy? The style of songwriting, music, it's all there. A salute to the heavens, quite a beautiful sentiment really. So there, this is my views on post-pop depression. I'm sorry you've had to listen to me regaling you with all this shit, but I've enjoyed writing it, so fuck you. The maestro has returned with a flourish to delivering something he's only capable his own delivering something he is only capable of achieving. And in an age where guitar music is slowly weaning itself out of people's hearts, then Iggy has but strengthened my love for it, reminding us all what it should be like. So bravo Jim Osterberg. Fair play. And obviously we have to listen to Paraguay now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for that, James. That's positively gonzo of you. <laughs> I thought it would be slightly <laughs> blown away. Yeah, uh, okay, so <laughs> let's, let's play Paraguay, well done. Wild animals they do Never wonder why Just to do what they goddamn do Wild animals they do Never wonder why Just to do what they goddamn do I'm going where sore losers go To hide my face and spend my dough Though it's a dream, it's not a lie and I won't stop to say goodbye Paraguay Paraguay You're listening to Short Ditch Radio So that was uh, Iggy Pop with Paraguay, and now my book corner. I definitely, I, I can't do like a proper uh, do we review do? like that. I mean, that was incredible. Uh, do we want to? Do? I'm just going to have a quick little rundown because you will get a, a more uh, in-depth review um, by the time I finish. But um, I, the story so far. Well, yeah, oh, the story so far, stories. sort of. I mean, with um, Anna Karenina, we'll start there. Um, so, uh, regular listeners to the show will know that um, I, in the last like few months, um, went through War and Peace. Um, Brave man. Which was fantastic, and I'd absolutely advise anybody with a month free to read it. Um, and I I really like Tolstoy's way of writing, and I've said before, like he, the way that he um, describes characters, almost, is like the best thing about it. It kind of brings you into... Um, it's, it's like listening to a soap almost, um, except often the um, uh, throughout the whole story there will be some um, sort of allegory, some like, overall meaning mm. that he draws out at the end, and there'll also probably be um, some um, more significant world events or uh, you know slightly deeper. It's less Cory, more the Archers, <laughs> modern Archers. That's brilliant. Um, <laughs> oh. But yeah, like he's. He's got a really good way of uh, writing characters, and um, he's just got that like classic kind of uh, ironical Russian literature um, bent to him. And I think that um, I wasn't sure what I was expecting from um, Anna Karenina, um, but firstly, I was expecting Anna Karenina to be more of a major part of the story. I mean, I'm about halfway through, a little bit over halfway through, and she's not... Like she's obviously like a main character, but it's very much an ensemble kind of. Business. She's not the main. She's character. not the main character by any stretch of the imagination. It's very much um, a case that there are 
you know so many others going on yeah, yeah like 15 other characters um you know whose lives you and whose stories you're invested in just mm. as much if not more he likes um, the ensemble doesn't he loves the ensemble the loves the jumping yeah. from uh, place to place um but yeah, I mean, it's a little bit slower than War and Peace, but I think probably because it's not um, based around kind of real events mm. and the actual... Um, so it, it doesn't have the pace where it's been driven along so by the, 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 the fact the, that these battles happened at this mm. time and then, you know, further down the line, something else actually happened in history, so he has to get there. Um, it's a bit more kind of constrained um, within itself. Or it's allowed to be m more ponderous yeah. in its kind of uh, flow, basically. But it's... The writing style is very similar, so I'm not disappointed there. Um, I'm intrigued as to why it's called Anna Karenina when she's just a sort of, you know, one of many type characters. I'm sure that will become more apparent to me to, as the, you know, conclusion draws nearer. Um, <clears throat> but so far, good, but I'm not... Too... I'm not 100% sold on it. Mm. But again, and um, anybody who uh, was hanging around with me <laughs> at the time when I was reading War and Peace will absolutely know that... Um, Leo Tolstoy has a way of writing characters that I will either uh, love and get behind fully or will infuriate me to the point where I like take my work home do you know what I mean I'll, I'll, I'll be around the house in like a stinking mood or having a go at some randomer in a restaurant or like whatever because I've been wound up by, by Anna Karenina by a character such as Anna Karenina I don't want to give anything away but she is a bit of a wind up um, on to uh, the time machine so uh much shorter book, so we're talking about you know forty something hours probably to read um, Anna Karenina, maybe two and a half, three to read uh, the Time Machine. Wow, okay, it's quite a short uh, mm. story, but um, incredibly famous. Written, I mean, I've not read too much H.G. Wells before. I've read um, The Invisible Man, um, and I think that's probably about it. But again, it's quite I think typical of his writing style. Um, in the sense that it's quite sort of abrupt. Um, it's as though it were a scientist or something writing, yeah. writing a story for people he thinks lower intellectually than himself. But he, so he's writing it in a way that's going to engage their minor intellect. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's that's what I get from H.G. Wells and his writing style. The um, topics are always really interesting. So obviously, in this one's time travel uh, in the Invisible Man. It's invisibility and what <laughs> and what a person would do if they became yeah. invisible and, and how actually that'd be really hard. Um, and especially if you're a little bit on the criminal side anyway, um, you know, you get kind of led down a path to the point where you think, well, hold on a minute, I'm actually basically like going mad here because I'm the only person that can see me um, and I can't interact with anybody else. Um, but uh, yeah, it's quite... Um, it gets into it much quicker <laughs> than Tolstoy, let's put it like this. Um, the whole book's about as long as two chapters oh, of Anna Karenina. Um, but I've only done about an hour, so he's done his trip forward in time. Um, he's, I think the interesting, interesting thing so far, because I can't really get anything from the story um, to kind of bring back to you, but the interesting thing is, um, again, like you remember when I was talking about um, Dracula, talking yeah. about this kind of like scientific mind that, it sounds similar. People believed, you know, yeah. uh, was the kind of their mark, I suppose. Yeah, sort of on the Victorian world. mark on the world, yeah. yeah. The industrial re revolutions happened. And Empiricism. Thinking, yeah, and they're thinking, you know, like, we've we've got motor carts now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're... With dogs bollocks. Yeah, we're up there yeah. with, like, God. There's, like, God yeah. and then us in terms of who knows. We what. have steamboats. Yeah, <laughs> basically. And I think it's very much along those kind of lines. And even for this guy, you know, this is somebody who's clearly an eminent intellect talking basically down to his reader who is talking about a time machine that's made of uh, rock crystal and ivory oh yes like, that's what my house is going to be like <laughs> rock crystal and <laughs> ivory so wrong but you know, ethics aside it's more that kind of thing that like how it's interesting that they thought themselves and especially somebody so clever basically thought themselves to be such a high intellect and so far in advance of um, you know, people before them that they're willing to go out enough on a limb and say to say that ivory is going to be like the material of the future that's oh going to allow God, us to time travel. Like, yeah. it, uh, <laughs> it just seems, yeah, like now if you said something like that, um, you know, you'd, you'd get trolled on Twitter or whatever, but not even 
to that extent, but it makes you think, well, what are the things now that people think are the will be in, will the, be future, in the future? Yeah. And it's the same um, when I was talking about Brave New World before as well, talking about um, how it, uh, one of the characters talks to somebody who's like a news um, correspondent, basically, and he's got a metal helmet with these kind of ear protector mm. things or headphones that kind of come down on one side and then there's a microphone a big you know you think of the, an old fashioned microphone that you might see Aretha Franklin singing mm. into or something it like pops out on a little thing in front yeah. of him so it dangles in front of his mouth and so they can both talk and be on the it's that thing of from the position where you are in your day in your time what's going to change not only what's going to change but it's interesting to see people's imaginings of the future and yeah. how yeah there absolutely is a mobile way of uh, you know being a news correspondent, but it doesn't involve mechanical mm. devices that pop out of your hat, <laughs> you know. And it's that idea of you know they're thinking forward, but then they're still constrained by. It's a, it's a re- an idea of the future that reflects on the present. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Chaucer Canterbury Tales, absolutely fantastic. I'll advise it to anyone. Um, but when you do it, basically because I don't know how much you guys out there know about uh, Canterbury Tales, it's a poem. It's basically an epic poem to the extent where it could or could not be classed as a novel. Not really sure, but it is a, a poem. So don't just sit there and try and read it because not only is it a poem, but it's also written in incredibly you know, I was ancient gonna say, language. Yeah. language. Get a translation. Brush up on your... <laughs> Get a translation. There are, there are better ones and there are worse ones, um, but try and find a translation. Which try and find one that suits you? you. I can't even think what the guy's name is Penguin. Methuen. Uh, I'll update next yeah. week because I can't remember the guy's name um, and I don't want to just sit here in silence I'm mm. my brain but yeah find a translation and then read it aloud to yourself because okay. it, get, it allows you to take the meter of it much better and mm. get like the flow of mm. the poetry yeah. and that's probably that how it was delivered not, a lot yeah, of the time because it's, it's from then, that kind from of room. it's yeah. almost yeah and this is something that um, in the edition that I've got there's um, like a discussion about um, how Chaucer's very polite in his poetry. Like he's, He explains very well the various different people. So, you know, there are people from the church and the clergy, there are nuns, there are, there's a knight. A yeah. knight's tale is obviously the most famous of um, the, the Canterbury Tales. Starring Heath Ledger. Um, then uh, <clears throat> there are several other characters, so um, like a baker and mm. all these people. But it's this idea that he captures all these people, whatever their background is, very well. But then at the same time, his writing of them is incredibly polite and he'll address the audience in a very polite way. And that basically comes from him being a courtier at the time and a large number of those poems, because they're basically a collection of poems made into one epic poem, he would have recited to the court, so the king or the queen. So he's talking to you as though you're the king or the queen or the courtiers in the nice, court. Yeah. You know, So he's taking you by the hand in a friendly way through explaining, you know, these are the people of the land in which we live. And I think that it's, if you like folk music, read it aloud to yourself. Okay. That would be my advice so far. Um, And if you're going to read any of it, the thing of all of it to read, don't even read any of the tales, read uh, the prequel bit, the, like, introduction. Is it the forward the forward it's amazing it's the description of all the characters who will be you'll be led into Jeez, your death yeah. with mm. throughout the rest of the tales but it's their introduction and it's absolutely fantastic the way he can capture um, the individualism and the essence of the time and of the people and of the way in which people live and interact with each other um, is such an interesting insight into that period mm. but also it's incredible how many parallels you can draw with people that you know in your own life and yeah. and how people are just people and they always have been people like just on a day to day yeah just on a day to day basis it's fucking amazing so yeah that's all I've got for you that's sick but I'm, I'm kind of retail seems like it's great I would definitely yeah. advise it and like I say I think because I started just reading it in my head and that was really difficult I think for me it's just speaking it out loud I mean you might feel like an idiot on the no, ass, I but, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I but enough. I do it in my room yeah. Yeah. it seems to work quite well sick well thank you very much Marshall no problem well, good. Um, and uh, just talking about um, Canterbury Towers uh, quite appropriately really and how, saying how um, you know people 
sort of talking about uh, the way in which they live and the time in which they live, mm. um, this next song um, is very much along those similar lines. I'm not going to say he's up there with Chaucer. He's, <laughs> he's not quite, but he's doing uh, all right, I think. Uh, it's Joelistics uh, with Out of the Blue. Out of the blue, it all changed in an instant. He was 19 when she told him she was pregnant. Barely out of high school, living in a small town. Neither of them had a job or money in the bank. He got work on the factory floor, struggling to make ends meet, but she adored him. Always in his corner when her parents started on a lie. He won't ever amount to that much. The baby arrived, really they tried. She said, let's do the best we can a day at a time. He started staying out all night, getting drunk. Convinced he couldn't deal with what he had and what he could. You're listening to Short Ditch Radio. ShortDitchRadio.co.uk. Well, that was uh, Jocelyn. Oh, uh, yeah, Jolistics. Jolistics. You should know, your name's Jolian. Yeah, I was like, what is my name? It's similar to my name, Jolistics. Um, Without the Blue, and then a mashup of Let It Be, and It Wasn't Me by Shaggy. I wonder what the Beatles and and Shaggy would have thought of each other, and I thought of their music being infused into one. Especially those two songs. I reckon it, it would have been huge, the Beatles collabing with Shaggy. Well, I think one of the better, ma- maybe I'll play it next week, the better mashups I've heard, which I think would actually, you know, people wouldn't bat an eyelid if it was released now. Um, and, you know, the the vocals work better with this song is Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up with um, Avicii's Wake Me Up. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm going to listen to that when I get home. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, uh, that. Was that. And this is this. <laughs> Late night niche. The end. <laughs> yeah, we've had some pretty epic reviews or review. We, you know, yeah, we've had our, our minds opened to the plight of Chinese plasma and uh, AIDS spreading and people being in prison for having AIDS and speaking out. I and, feel like I've been educated. And the fact that yeah, uh, kids on roundabouts don't get... Yeah, having strict play schedules yeah. to dig wells. 27 hours a day. Yeah, 27 hours a day. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Well, sucks. And um, yeah, be careful if you're picking up yellow uh, food parcels because there may be unexploded cluster bombs. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, and I've been Chris Marshall. So, uh, <laughs> from us here at Shortlix Radio, um, obviously, this is uh, Tuesday evening. It's now 11 coming o'clock. up to 11 o'clock. Yeah. Um, it should be light out. <laughs> should be light out. We, we've got, uh, you know. Land of the Midnight Sun. Still, still more shows on, so uh, obviously, stay tuned. Um, I can't even think who's next. Dale? The Easy Hour. Who? The Easy Hour. Oh, The Easy Hour, of course. Every week I say The Easy Hour, and I maybe I should listen to it. Good I luck, Easy have Hour. A, have an early bedtime, that's all. Um, but yeah, you can clearly listen to uh, this show if you've only just tuned in or you're just tuning in for The Easy Hour. Listen to the rest of this show on uh, Mixcloud. Or uh, on iTunes or podcast or any of your podcast providers yeah. and the ones on Android as well. Or even if you don't like us, uh, but you have caught some of the music and you quite like it, go on to um, Spotify and find the Late Night Niche playlist on there. Yeah. Um, and await the future gigs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which there probably will be done. Pop. Yeah. So uh, after that, who have we got to see us out? We've got Kidnap Kid. With moments. And then we have Action Bronson with Easy Rider. So which is our goodnight from Joe? That's Kidnap Kid. Kidnap Kid and then a bit of Action Bronson just to perk people up again. Just to give them the easy out. Yeah. <laughs> Good, right. Well, good night. It's been niche. Love you.
You're listening to Shoreditch Radio. Shoreditchradio.co.uk. 